Welcome to Improv for the Podcast. On this week's episode, we'll hear from Annie Rose. She'll tell us about her improv journey. We'll play a couple games. And most importantly, answer the question on how Annie Rose has improved her life. Let's hit it. Welcome to Improv for the Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Lee Evans. Thank you so much for tuning in for our first ever episode. Today, we are joined by Annie Rose. Let's a round of applause for Annie Rose. Thank you so much, studio audience. And thank you, Annie Rose, for clapping for yourself. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, Annie Rose. Hi. Thank you for coming on. You are our first ever guest. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's a huge responsibility. It's an honor. Yeah, you are carrying a torch on par with the Olympics right now. I'm very scared. Yeah, yeah, I am too. It's okay. It's okay. We're both scared together. Um, that's totally all right. So uh, today we're going to be doing a few things. We're going to be playing some games. We're going to be talking about improv, its impact in your life. But before we get into that, simple question, how are you today, Annie Rose? I'm good. Good. Okay, great. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear it. I, you know, you, you ask that question so much and like, if someone just says bad, like, if you had said bad right now, this this episode would have taken a whole different turn. For know? sure. We'd have to get into that. I'm I'm bad. Okay. Well, yeah, what's behind that? <laughs> That's how this would go. So I'm glad to hear you're good. Um, now, Annie Rose, I do want to, you know, give you a chance to introduce yourself a little bit and find a way, you know, for, for you to share uh, on this podcast. But I want to do it in more of an improv-y kind of way. So what we're going to do is we're going to play a little game called Three Things. But okay. it's personal. Uh, have you ever played the game Three Things before, Annie Rose? Yes. Okay. But so, not when it's personal. But Okay, but not <laughs> when it's personal. Well, it's always personal. That's what you have to remember. So for our listeners at home who might not know what Three Things is, how this game typically works is that you're usually playing in a circle with several other people. And you kind of chant. There's some chanting aspect to it, right? Uh, so how this will work is uh, I'll say, these are three things, and then I'll give Annie Rose a category. And it will be her job to list three things within that category. And as she lists them, I'll count them off. So we can, we can do one as an example. I'll say, these are three things. Fruits. Apples. One. Bananas. Two. Grapefruit. Three. These are three things. Wow. Oh my gosh. She <laughs> is more ready than I am. Uh, okay, Annie Rose, you are a three things pro- We'll see how well you know yourself, though. Great. You know, you know so we'll see. So that's Ooh. these are three things. We're going to use this little improv warm-up as a way for Annie Rose to share a little bit about herself because it's personal. You ready, Annie Rose? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Uh, these are three things. Favorite foods. Pizza. One. Pasta. Two. Donuts. Three. These are three things. <laughs> Places you've lived. Durango, Colorado. One. Las Vegas, Nevada. Two. Denver, Colorado. Three. These are three things. Injuries you've had in your life. Back pain. One. Uh, falling on my head during a headstand. Two. Getting hit in the mouth with my surfboard. Three. These are three <laughs> things. All right. Oh, my goodness. Annie Rose, you nailed it. Uh, I threw everything Phew. at you. Um, 
I do want to ask, can you tell us a little more about that surfboard story? That sounds intense. Yeah. So I was surfing and it was actually a pretty small day. So the waves were pretty small and I found a plastic bag. And so being the environmentalist I Mm. am, Mm. I was like, let me take this in. But I didn't put it into my little pocket or anything. Instead, I carried it in my hands. So then I didn't have a good grip on my surfboard. And I was coming in and a wave, a big wave kind of surprised me, pulled my board out from under me and it went out in front of me and then it oh, turned no. around and came and just hit me right in the teeth. Oh my gosh. And I went on to shore and I just had blood pouring out of my mouth. I had a huge gash on the inside of my gums and then my teeth were loose for a full year. Oh my <laughs> gosh. That's Great. The ocean bullied you. It was you. awful. It bullied me. For and I was like, I am cleaning up a plastic bag yeah. out of you. And then it like bitch slapped me in the face. Oh my gosh. I mean, you were trying to help with the Pacific garbage patch. I was. I was. Yeah. I mean, you've done more for the planet than Al Gore just from that story alone. Yeah. So thank you. I, I'm sorry <laughs> that that happened. Thank you. It's okay. My, I still have my teeth. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. I see them there. Okay. Yeah. My good. gums that's healed. It's all good. My... Yeah. Good. Wow. That's. That's a pretty crazy injury that I don't, I don't know if I've ever been injured quite to that scale, but, uh, I don't mean to brag. I, I am actually a survivor of a pretty serious attack though. Of Um, what? What attacked you? So just a few days ago, you're not going to believe this. Um, hold on to your socks. Okay. Um, you know, I was just out walking near a local park in my area and all of a sudden I just felt crawling all over me. And I looked down at my leg and I saw a bee just stinging me right in the leg, like just getting in there. Wow. And I felt bees on other parts of me. I felt a stinger going into my forehead. (laughs) What? And I just started sprinting because I was so scared (laughs) and I didn't know what was going to happen, but I just sprinted all the way to my car. It wasn't too far. It was at the end of my walk. And Uh by the time I got to my car, I had two stingers in me and then I, I, as far wow. as I know, but I had one in my forehead and then one in my leg, <laughs> Wow, which was awful. That but is it, awful. Yeah. Did you outrun the other bees or was it just two bees that stung you and you like outran their dead bodies after they stung you? There were definitely more on me that I could feel. Um, wow. I know for sure there was at least one on the back of my neck and I think one on my arm. I'm not sure how many others I didn't have a chance to count. <laughs> in the moment. And I know like my choices literally are the opposite of what they always tell you to do. They're right. like, stay calm. Bees don't want to hurt you. Yeah. But those are lies. That's a lie. It's a huge lie. Yeah. They do want to hurt you. These bees were aggressive. You know, they, I think these bees had an agenda. Were you in their hive? Uh, if their hive is the sidewalk, yes. Well, I mean. <laughs> Who's to say? Who's to say? <laughs> Thank you for sharing your trauma Thank you for listening to mine. You don't know how much joy I've gotten telling that story. Like every possible chance I've gotten (laughs) just because it just happened three days ago. So like, you know, I'm milking it for all it's worth. Yeah. Yeah. As you should. Yeah. We're going to go ahead and jump into our interview portion. We're going to talk some improv because I want to know your improv journey. You know, uh, as human beings in our lives, we are born and we start as babies then we get older and eventually we turn into adults. And the same is true of improv. The way I like to think it, we each have an improv birth, you know, either via human mother or test tube, you know, and then we, we grow in our improv journeys and now we find ourselves on a podcast. That's how it goes. I think for every improviser. So I, I guess Annie Rose, the first question I want to ask you is what first drew you 
or how did you get started in improv? Because sometimes people are drawn to it. Sometimes they're forced into it. So how did you get your start doing improv? Um, I was definitely drawn to it. So the very first time I heard of it, I was, I don't know, maybe 15 or something. And I watched um, Whose Line Is It Anyway? Uh Great show. And that was just funny. And it's very rare that I come across something that makes me laugh out loud. And that made me laugh out loud. So I loved that. But I didn't really even know that it was called improv. It was Mm. just this funny Mm. show. And then my cousin gave me a book by Augusto Baul, um, who was a Brazilian playwright and improviser who um, created or developed a piece, a body of work called Theater of the Oppressed. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, this is improv. Yeah, I know you're familiar. Um, And that got me thinking about sort of the social justice benefits of improv. And um, when I started to pursue a degree in international affairs and then political science, I decided I wanted to know more about it. And I just knew intuitively that it was a tool that I wanted to work with. Mm. But at that point, it was just something that I had read about and something that I knew had created this movement in oppressed communities in Brazil. Um, so then fast forward to Los Angeles, I moved here in 2015. Mm. I went to a couple of improv classes, um, not at improv for the people, but elsewhere. And after every, I went to three classes and after every single one I cried and I was miserable (laughs) (laughs) and I hated it so much, but I was like committed to the cause and like learning how to do this for social justice. And my thought was like, I'm going to learn how to do this and then I'm going to give it to other people to use. And then I never have to do it again. And then I stopped going there, moved to another neighborhood, discovered improv for the people. Mm. And I was so nervous for my first class and so sure that it was going to be torturous that I was getting dressed and I was like, let me at least wear a comfortable bra (laughs) because if I'm going to be crying and miserable and suffering at the end of this class, I at least want to have comfortable boots. Yeah. Yeah. And then I went to class and it was a completely different feel. It wasn't competitive. I didn't feel judged. I didn't feel like I had to perform. I didn't feel like I had to be funny. Um, And best of all, I just learned some of the main rules and tools of improv. Um, And so then I fell in love with it. And that's really how I came to be an improviser. Wow. And you did it all while being comfortable. Yes. I don't even wear comfortable bras to improv anymore. (laughs) Good. We shouldn't. Yeah, I picked the uncomfy ones. Yeah, me too. Uh, all right. Well, I got a follow-up question to that. Uh, so you you first learned about improv as a teenager, right? You said you saw the show, um, you read that book, uh, right? Theater for the Oppressed. But it wasn't until sometime later that you actually tried it. Yeah. So there was there was a gap in time there. Interesting. Okay. Yes, and I really. I think I went with an ex-boyfriend, he was my boyfriend at the time, Mm. to an improv show that his friend was in. And I remember going and looking at them and being fascinated and distinctly thinking, I could never do that. Mm. And I think I was in, I must have been in my late 20s then. I'm in my early 40s now. And I didn't start improv until I was, I think, 39. Mm. And so just four years ago. Um, And I think, you know, I had to sort of work through this idea that it wasn't for me because Mm. I don't consider myself a funny person. I'm not a a performer. I didn't consider myself a performer. I wasn't, I didn't have any plans to become an actor or anything like that. Um, And then when I moved to Los Angeles, I don't know. I just knew that it was the right time. And then again, when I found improv for the people um, and just felt like it became about connecting Mm. with people Mm. and playing 
and being in community and pushing myself beyond my boundaries and discovering new sides of myself. Yeah. And then I was like, Oh, I can, I can do this. I don't actually have to try to be funny. I can just be present and be connected. And that I was really into and that I felt like I could do. Hmm. Definitely. Definitely. And I think I really love kind of that mindset that you had going into it because I think so often with improv and I know I've seen this and I'm sure you've seen this as well. Like improv is often seen as a way to like exploit or get in, you know, it's like, well, if I do improv, it's going to make me funny. Uh, agents want to assign me and then I'm going to be in a big movie. You know, I'm going to be bigger than Will Ferrell. And I think so often people just see improv as like a tool to launch them into something bigger, you know, but they don't ever see it for the art or the like healing place that it can be for so many people. Yeah. I think it's often viewed as like single faceted when in reality, I think in your experience, you've shared a little bit is how useful it can be in other areas of life besides, you know, improv is my tool to get rich and famous. Yeah. Or even to develop my acting skills Mm -hmm. or to become better at something. Um, For me, at the time that I started improv, um, taking it at IFTP, I had done a 40-day pilgrimage in Spain. I had just moved to LA. I had left my job as a teacher and I fell into a really deep depression. And um, for a year, when I first moved to L.A., it was really difficult to even get out of the house and go places. And it was really hard, honestly, to go to improv, but it gave me something to do every Tuesday. I was going on Tuesday afternoons at that time. Um, And it was really through that that I saw why Augusto Baul had used it in Brazil, because it really is a therapeutic art form. It really is something that forces you. It doesn't force you. It invites you to be present and to work with whatever is coming up. And so I never had to like come to improv and be happy and bubbly and funny. I could come to improv and I could use a scene to fake cry, (laughs) which (laughs) sort of relieved something for me. It was almost a way, like if I think about depression as a way to kind of uh, like turn inward and keep my emotions sort of safe and protected improv gave me a way to feel them without being too vulnerable, without being too scared. And also with sort of the side effect of a little bit of laughter and then definitely a lot of connection with other people. And that was definitely something that helped me pull through that depression. Yeah. Yeah. I think definitely when you're, when you are depressed, it's, it's hard to get the motivation to go out and do anything. I mean, one to do anything two to leave your house and do something that's, you know, that can be a a tremendous thing to make happen when you're in that state, you know, it's incredibly challenging. So I think the fact that you were able to do that and find a reason to be here and then find healing through that, you know, you didn't just show up and be like, I'm here to make you laugh. You know, it's, (laughs) there's, there's so much you can experience. And like you said, process while, while showing up to an improv class or working with others and improvising and yeah, those different emotions and feelings you can express while you're on stage. You know, it's not that Every scene has to be, you know, a classic comedic hit. You know, there's there's such a range of what you can experience. Um, just watching others improvise, participating yourself, it's it's really quite amazing. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I agree that there's you know there's something bigger here. Just uh, eh, just being a silly guy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I I appreciate your perspective on that. Um, and I think so. You kind of already answered this question, but I guess since really starting improv, because I know you learned about it as a teenager, but since you started getting really actively involved, what what has kind of been the impact 
on your life. I know you shared a little bit about that particular anecdote, you know, about feeling depressed and mm-hmm. coming here and how that affected you. But I guess, yeah, if you want to expand on that a little more. Yeah. So, um, it's interesting, like what's coming to mind and what I was thinking as you were saying, what you were saying about improv is that what I've learned is that improv at least for me and from what I've seen, it's really about delighting people. It's Mm. about surprising people. Mm. And if I think about my favorite improvisers, they're not the ones who are funny per se, but they're the ones who surprise me. Mm. (laughs) They just pull something out that's completely unexpected. And I find that really delightful. And in my life, um, I definitely, you know, had a lot of challenges growing up. I've dealt with depression at different times. I've also, um, in my career and my you know, volunteering. I've been to um, a lot of different countries throughout the world and had really difficult experiences and seen really difficult things. And there have been times, to be honest with you, that I've just thought like, wow, this world is really ugly. (laughs) And there, I mean, we all know that, right? Like there are a lot of really messed up, hard things happening. And the more that I studied international affairs and the more I got into political science and now I'm studying social work and working with children and families who have been abused and neglected and are, you know, facing all kinds of things, um, the more I realized that I have to keep my finger on the pulse of what's delightful. Mm. And that is something that improv gives to me. It gives me a way to laugh every single week. And it's not always like, I'm not always laughing at myself, but laughing at other people. Right. And even, um, and also laughing at myself and laughing at myself, uh, and delighting myself if I do something I think is great, but also if I really mess something up and other people are laughing, like there's something about coming together with people and laughing and doing that in the face of the horrendous things that are happening in our world that is really necessary. And one of the things that I've been wrapping my brain around is what I call joyful activism. Mm -hmm. And this idea that if we're going to do activism in the world, we can't just focus on the pain and the trauma points. Um, We can't, for example, I do a lot of work with critical race theory, and I'm really interested in, in transforming racism and addressing racism. And we can't just focus, for example, on slavery and all of the hard things that have happened. We also have to focus on, like, what are the beautiful, amazing, powerful things that black people and people of color are creating in our society and our communities? And how can we share that? Because they're not just victims of slavery. They're not just victims of racism. These are people who are creating major contributions. <laughs> major contributions and so much of history and so much of society focuses on the struggle and the heartache and not that that's not important that's obviously important um, but part of activism is sharing the fullness of who people are and improv really helps me build the muscle of being joyful and it's kind of like Uh, I think naturally I'm a little bit like grouchy (laughs) and just sort of like skeptical and a little bit poo faced. (laughs) And um, so for me to like build the muscle of being joyful and to build the muscle of being delighted, to build the muscle of being connected Mm. with people of being present of um, I'm a little bit shy as well. And so I find that improv gives me like this safe constructed container in which I can go and connect with people really safely. Yeah. It just, um, for me, it's like, like, I don't even think I could do social work or do activism anymore if I didn't have improv. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's yeah. It kind of leads into my next question of like how skills you've learned or just the practice of improv, how has it impacted your work, your day job, you know, 
Um, Because we all, you know, we're attending these improv classes or we're involved in some sort of improv community or shows or whatever. But what does that look like, those skills and that those abilities that we have? What does that look like taking that into the workplace? And I think you already touched on that already, uh, but I'd love to hear more. What does that look like kind of in your day to day or in the work that you do? So right now I'm a full-time student, so I'm getting my master's degree in social work. And then I'm also, um, I've been in internships. I finished one last year and I'm going into another one with the Department of Child and Family Services. Mm-hmm. And last year, um, gosh, there were so many different ways. So yeah. one way I brought improv into my cohort and I started to lead a group once a week where we would do improv warm-ups, and then we would have a dialogue with each other and then we'd close with body work. And, um, I love that. Yeah, it was amazing. And it was all designed around simply creating connection Mm -hmm. and, um, giving people a space to connect and giving people a space where they could be free to be who they are. Mm -hmm. And I would think that that would be a given in social work, but it's not, (laughs) there's a lot of talk about self care, probably in teaching too. I know you were a teacher. Everyone's like, take care of yourself, take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. But then they don't want you to stop working. They don't Mm -hmm. want to pay you enough money. They don't want, you know, there's all these things. Right. Um, and so I wanted to create that space and, um, one thing that naturally came out of us having that space is that like all these different professors were saying, wow, this is the most connected cohort we've seen in a really long time. Mm. And we also ended up having um, more people come to faculty meetings and places where we could say, you know, like what we're challenged with by the program and things like that. Like more people started showing up for activism too. Mm. Mm. And um, when I talked to people about that and asked them what was happening, because I have a researcher's mind, <laughs> um, you know, they were saying, well, really it's like our group, it's our group coming together and, and being connected. It just helps me yeah. feel like I'm safe, you know, sort of branching out and like addressing the things that aren't working or being more communicative with other people in my cohort. Mm. And so, and that was true for me as well. Like I felt connected to my cohort in ways that I haven't felt connected in other cohorts I've been a part of. Yeah. So that's part of it. And then I think um, my last internship was challenging in a lot of ways. Mm. I was challenged by my supervisor. We did not get along Mm, super well. We had very different perspectives of the world. And um, I was able to just sit and be patient and listen and just be with her and just let her say whatever she needed to say. And of course I took it personally initially, but then I was also able to just sit back and say, this is just like how she's feeling in this moment. This is just what she's thinking in this moment. And that really enabled me to move through that with grace. And um, we ended the internship on great terms and sort of agreeing to disagree, right? Like we do not see the world in the same way. And thank you so much for all the ways that you've taught me and Mm. you've helped me grow. And we literally said that to each other. And I think that um, had I not been so trained in improv, I probably would have just been like, well, F this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I'm just going to stick this out yeah, like, and it. then I'm going to get out of here as soon as possible. And then I'm going to, you know, beat myself up about it privately. And then I'm going to hope for the best in my next job or my next internship. Mm-hmm. And instead mm-hmm. I just sort of dealt with it by being connected and dealt with it by being present. Yeah. And working with an improv, you know, we work with what we have. (laughs) And that's what I did. I worked with what we had. I didn't wish that our, I mean, it would have been nice if our relationship was different, but it was like, this is what's on the table. This is what's in the scene, right? This Mm -hmm. person is saying this Mm -hmm. about me or judging this perspective that I have. 
And um, I'm not willing to give up that perspective. So here we are. How do we work with this? How do we build something together? How do we create something beautiful? And that's what I really work to do. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that, first of all. Sure. There are just so many like key things I heard from that. I was like, wow, 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 wow. Like my mind was like continually being blown. And uh, I think, yeah, a big thing that stuck that stuck out to me and what you said, the idea of, you know, kind of taking what's there and working with it and this in, the importance of connection. Cause I think, you know, to put it into improv terms, right. Anytime you're in a scene, right. Two person scene, two people, uh, you're part of your job is to connect with that other person in your scene because you know, you have to trust them and they have to trust you because you're building something together. And the same is true in so many different work environments, right. Uh, whether you know you're part of a cohort or part of a team at your office or you work in a classroom, you're teamed up with all your students, right? You're working together to build something and you have to use what's there, right? You can't ignore what's in front of you. It's your job to include it and make it work. Right? Just hearing that and how you did that in a workplace environment, you know, it's different from our improv class, mm-hmm. but still how those things kind of apply in those different fields. And I mean, it really is so, so, so true how important those things are. And I really respect and like, I'm just in awe of the fact that you were like, hey, I'm going to take what I'm learning in class and bring it into, you know, this outside situation. I'm going to get all my uh, fellow students in on this and they're going to do it and we're going to grow and benefit from it. And to see like, you know, there's proof, there's proof in the pudding, right? Because outside observers have been like, hey, I noticed this cohort, there's something different about you guys. And, you know, and that ties back to the fact that you've been doing improv exercises and taking these principles of connecting with other people and using what's there, listening, probably yes-handing each other, right? You're building something together is, is really awesome to see. Um, I know one thing, too, that we share that you mentioned, uh, you know, you used to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. I used to be a teacher, right? We, have, we both have backgrounds in education. I mean, yours is far more extensive than mine, and you've taken it to another level. But I think... Uh, I oftentimes, you know, think of improv in regards to education because just building relationships with students and families and students in particular, you know, on a day-to-day basis, um, no matter the difference between you and the students, right? If you come from different backgrounds, different cultures, right? There's your job as an educator, right? Is to build that relationship with the kids that are in your class because you want them to want to be there. You want them to be invested in what you're doing. And it's your job to help make them feel safe, uh, as much as you can get them to buy in on what's going on and to support them, you know, in anything that you need. And I, I always think of how improv applies to that because it's, you know, you're saying like, Hey, it's you and me, we're in this together. <laughs> we're going to build something here. And that, I mean, that boils down to almost every area of life at that point. Yeah, for sure. And what you were just saying made me think too about how in improv scenes, another thing we work to do is maintain our own perspectives, mm-hmm, even mm-hmm. while we're building with what somebody else offers. So yeah. if you come in, if I've already established one character and then you come into a scene and you're a different character, mm. I want to yes and yes and who you are. And I want <laughs> to play with what you're yeah. giving me, but I also want to maintain my character. And I think that's so relevant Um, in society and in teaching Mm. and social work Um, and just thinking back to my supervisor even where um, where we had different perspectives I was not willing to budge Mm. that doesn't mean that I can't build something with her of course and it's the same as being a teacher right where we are not going to (laughs) agree with all of the students and certainly if they're pushing us and testing us and kind of seeing where the lines are right and they're also um, discovering themselves and wanting to know who they are. And it's our job as teachers to support that and, 
and provide them room to do that. But that doesn't mean that we lose who we are as teachers. It doesn't mean that we lose control of the classroom, so mm-hmm. to speak. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like, how, how do we give people freedom to be who they are while also standing for what we want to stand for? Yeah. So, and it's true in society too. Like if I'm standing for a society where racism is eradicated and there are some people who, even if they don't consider themselves racist, might be like, well, but what about this? But what about, what about this? It's like, okay, well, how do I maintain this perspective and also learn from them? It's not the same thing as accepting where they're coming from and saying, okay, well, we can agree to disagree. Mm -hmm. I can still say, well, I still disagree with you. And here's what I'm standing for, but I can do it while still acknowledging what's on the table, still acknowledging what they're bringing to the table and working with that, working with it as it is. Yeah. Seeing what information they give you, right? Yeah. I I love that example, yeah, because I think that's very relevant to uh, today (laughs) and a lot of what's going on, you know, in our present times, in the past, you know, it's like literally for all of time. So I I really appreciate that example. Okay. So I want to, I want to turn our lens a little bit just to your own experience in improv and improv settings and classes in particular. Uh, I want to hear about two different moments. So I want to hear... Thinking back on your improv experience, you've been in class, you've performed, right? We've done shows together. Mm -hmm. I know you're fantastic. I would love to hear about a moment you felt, you know, you were doing improv, participating in a scene. It could even be watching improv, you know, just any improv, like, uh, related experience. What was a high moment for you? Like, ah, yes, improv. But I also want to hear about a low moment as well, because... I know I've had those moments uh, being a part of improv, you know, for, for years and years, you know, you think about like, I, this is great. And then other times where you're like, oh my gosh, this is the worst. So I'd, I'd love to hear maybe if you can think of, you know, a high moment and a low moment. Sure. There are so many. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, Cause it's, it's a ride. <laughs> um, well, I think I'll distinguish sort of shows from classes mm. for me mm-hmm. and how they are for me. So I love being in shows mm. and I've been wondering about that. I'm always nervous before a show. Yeah, I certainly definitely. have concerns about whether or not anything is going to come out that makes people laugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, is, am I going to be an improviser this time? Is mm-hmm. it all going to be okay? Yeah. And I get out there and the moment I hear a laugh, I absolutely love it. And it just stimulates me to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to that idea of delighting people. And I realize that like, I love delighting the audience. I don't care if they think I'm funny necessarily, but just to know that I can delight someone and that they can laugh. That's a really powerful thing. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, just being able to deliver to somebody the experience of laughter. Yeah. It's so healthy. Yeah. <laughs> it's so healing. Oh my gosh. It's yes. such a gift. And it's not, a, again, it's not about like, oh, I'm so funny. Mm-hmm. Although I love being funny. Yeah. That can, it's just about like, a there's bit. a little yeah. room for ego, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. like I'm a human. I like that. Um, but really it just, it feels like such a contribution to mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. So um, shows are always a high for me. Yeah. Um, I struggle in classes. First of all, I love going to classes because I love the people who I'm in classes with. And I miss having yeah. you in class, I, by the way. I think about it all, literally we, every... We miss you. <laughs> I know. I miss it too. Yeah. So come back. Okay. Um, <laughs> See what I can do. Uh, but I'll say, like, I'm nervous before every single scene. And mm. um, what I realized the other day when I was talking to a fellow improviser is that when I'm in a class... 
what I'm trying to do is be funny and make sure that nobody's judging me. Yeah. And I'm constantly afraid of people judging me, even though these are people I know and love. Yeah. You're comfortable with them. Yeah. I'm comfortable them. with yeah. them. I know them. And yet I'm sort I think there's something about wanting to please them and being mm -hmm. a little bit attached mm -hmm. to that. Whereas an unknown audience, it's sort of like, well, if I fail, I'm never going to see them yeah, again. Yeah, like, I don't know who they are. But yeah. if I fail in front of my classmates, like I'm going to be back next week and they're going to be like, yeah. I don't want to go in the scene with Annie Rose, yeah. you know, because she's not very you. good. Yeah. Um, and so I realized that that's what I oftentimes walk into class with. And so mm. <laughs> when it goes really well in a scene, I'm sort of like, phew. And when it doesn't go well, I will sometimes go home and just think, wow, I don't know if I should be an improviser. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't mm -hmm. actually think I know this art at all. I don't think I'm funny. I don't think I know how to connect with people. I don't think I know how to be present. Yeah. I don't even know what to Questions. say. Yeah. And then I start trying to think about what I could have said. And I'm like, no, that's dumb. That's silly. That's ridiculous. Um, and, and I've had many of those moments. Um, mm -hmm. But whatever, you know, it's yeah. sort of like, yeah. that's, how <laughs> that's it is. life, that's yeah. how it is. And I think one of the benefits of feeling so connected with people in class is that it just gives me permission to keep showing up again mm. and mm -hmm. to keep pushing myself. And then I learned, like I learned that um, just a couple of weeks ago, I learned that I was coming in concerned about whether or not I'd be judged mm. and decided to give that up and to come in and just do what's fun for me. Yeah which completely changed how I do improv, even in the last two classes that I went to, yeah. where I'm sort of like, well, what's fun for me is doing this silly voice, even though it doesn't make any sense, given what they're saying, like yeah. we're going to build something. Yeah. And just giving myself that permission has yeah. made it fun. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. I want to I touch back on something you said, because I know for me, it was like you said it, and I was like, oh my gosh, I, I so, so, so believe that too. Um, you had mentioned the idea of like, particularly in an improv show context, and even in a class, this is true, um, but delighting the audience, right? Because um, I think oftentimes, at least from talking to people, and I definitely know I've had conversations with people like, oh, you know, like comedians, you know, to use the broad term, because, you know, within comedy, there's a lot of different fields. There's a stand-up, there's improv, there's sketch comedy. But, uh, you know, I, I think often people say, oh, like, comedians or performers, you know, I think they're incredibly selfish because they're doing all this for themselves. You know, they just wanted to do it to get the praise and the glory. But I think, I think there is, there's more value to it than that. And I think you touched on it in delighting the audience, because I know, both having been an audience member and a performer in a lot of improv-related settings and in classes as well, sitting there watching other class members go up and perform and also getting to do a scene, there is an inherent value and a joy you can take away from being a participant, either as audience or performer, in an improv setting. And I think that's something that people who have never tried it, either gone to watch a show or have never been in a class themselves, often miss that because they think, oh, these people are just going to class to learn how to be funny so they can get praise and adoration. And like you said, it's not that we can factor out nobody has an ego because of course that's not true. But I think there is a value to it in that shared experience of watching an amazing improv scene and getting and laughing from it, the joy that that creates and generates, right? That positive energy, um, whether you're the one on stage creating it and sharing with with others or you're witnessing and taking that in. And I just, yeah, curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's so great. Um, one thought that I have is, what if we could also be okay with wanting adoration and praise? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's Which a little is, bit of both. 
Yeah. It is. It is. It's interesting because I tend to, you know, I tend to say like, no, 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 that's not what we want. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and I yeah. think that that is where we go. But I think one of the gifts of improv is that we're all like adoring and praising each other. Mm-hmm. And so, you, you know, craving adoration and praise maybe becomes a little empty when we just want it for ourselves. Yeah. And it's this never, this unfulfilled constantly unfulfilled need that we have that's Mm -hmm. when it becomes a little bit icky or dangerous or something like that but when I think about our class um, including you in that the classes that we've been in together we are really adoring and praising each other and we are um, participating I loved what you said about participating as the audience member or Mm -hmm. as the improviser when we are watching our classmates we are participating and having them win I know that I sit there in the chair and I feel like you do too. Cause yeah. I've felt it when I'm up there and you're in the audience, we are wanting our teammates, wanting our classmates to win yeah. <laughs> and yeah, we're adoring them when they come up with a wacky name. We're adoring mm. them when they don't know what to say and they get kind of shy. We're praising them when they do something magnificent or when they've done their first ever improv scene. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. I think that, um, and I personally, I could be wrong, but I think it depends on the studio. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> My first I studio, I got no adoration and praise. Yeah, I'm not going to name judgment. names. But no yeah, names. Had, I think we both have a wide range of uh, experiences depending on where you're at. Yeah. yeah. But I, at my experience at IFTP is that what we're doing here is we are wanting each other to win. And that is however we show up, whether yeah. we do something really amazing or not. Yeah. Um, And I think that maybe the delightfulness and maybe we lose a piece of this in shows because I think that the audience comes and they're sort of like, they expect to be delighted, which makes sense, right? Like they're paying for that. And, Mm -hmm. um, but in a class we come in and we're not expecting to be delighted or not in any particular way. And what we really want is for, the person to be who they are and for the person to feel safe and for the person to feel amazing. And so we're delighting in them, like being brave enough to get up there Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. we're delighting in them, um, trying to do a British accent and doing it horribly. We're delighting in them, um, having no idea what to say and really Mm. messing up the scene and then still getting up there again. And I think that that's another gift where it's sort of like, whether you're a magnificent or a total failure, <laughs> I'm going to be there <laughs> yeah, cheering yeah, you on and yeah. delighting in you. And what if that was something else that we could bring in life? What if we could know that people were delighting in us, even if we failed or mm. delighting in us, mm. even if we yeah. were imperfect, mm. that would be a whole different experience for us. Yeah. 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 Applying that outside of class and outside of improv is, yeah. is major. You know, yeah. That idea. I think, yeah, I, I mean, I agree, <laughs> you know, it's, that's really what it is. And I think those, those moments of in class where, you know, the good and the bad that comes with it and your the safety that you have to try things, even if it sucks, you still can, you know, and I think about how with improv, you know, in both in class and in a show, like, I think a big part of what I love about it too, is that they're witnessing it in any capacity, again, performer, audience, you know, whatever. Um, you're witnessing the creation, like, 
life and death of something all in that moment. And, you know, it's something you can walk away from. There's always, you know, hey, you were in that class. We saw this scene together. You know, we did this scene together. We watched, you know, whoever, Jim and uh, uh, Carl do that scene. Um, We'll always have that, but it's a unique and special moment that, you know, is only shared by those who were witness to it and participants in it. And I I love that because, you know, it lives, breathes, and dies all right then and there. That's so true. Yeah, both the failures and the, you know, the brilliant moments. Yeah. When someone stinks it up, you celebrate it because there's still some joy there. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's something that just, I think about that all the time. That's just, that's improv. That's one of the huge beauties and unique facets of it, I think. Yeah. It always amazes me how well I get to know people in class. Mm -hmm. I feel like I get to know their soul. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, you're a teacher? Oh, you have a fiance? (laughs) There are all these things that we don't know about each other. And at the same time, it's, we know each other to our cores. Yeah. Because we go through these intimate experiences with each Mm, other. mm -hmm. And then it's just a bonus to get to find out about who we are outside of the studio. Yeah. And I think there's, there's a point where if you're choosing to do improv, like you have to be willing to just kind of bear it all out there. Cause otherwise it's, I think you'll, you know, you'll hit a roadblock at some point. Because you just got to be willing to get up there and kind of sacrifice like, hey, I'm about to suck. Uh, Yes. If you're not willing to do that, to be that open and have that honesty, you're never going to find success in it, I think. It's true. And I don't think that, and I think that that's a muscle that we build by doing improv. Mm -hmm. So I Mm -hmm. would hate for people to think that they have to come in already comfortable with failing and messing it up because that's not who I was coming in. Yeah. And I had plenty of experience failing already, but I didn't come into improv thinking, oh, I don't care if I mess this up. I Mm. still care if I mess it up, but I learn again and again and again that it's okay. And it's a muscle to build. And that's another thing I think if we were able to go into life willing to fail more Mm. often Mm -hmm. and then willing to just keep going and not just sort of be like, well, now I'm going to move on from that, but (laughs) able to like willing to still show up with the same people with egg on your face and say, I've got egg on my face. So now what are we going to (laughs) do? Like now what is the scene? What if we could do that in our jobs and in our relationships and in the grocery store when we do something embarrassing, whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great challenge, isn't it? One of the biggest challenges of life. And I think I know and you know that improv can teach you that and help you be better prepared for those situations when they do happen, you know, outside of that safe class or yeah. performance that you're in. And I think that's a really, really good way to look at it and to apply what you learn from doing improv into the world around you because failure can be such a scary thing. But when you get more experience failing, it makes it easier in every capacity. Yeah. Improv kind of gives you those reps, you know? It does. It really does. Because. More often than not, I think a majority of the time, like any improv scene, you you know, you're going to fail more than you succeed doing improv. And that's kind (laughs) of half the fun of it anyways, because you're like, ah, darn, I should have done this instead. All right, next time, next time, next time. And you get a clean slate and you get to make something new. Yes. And then sometimes you fail that. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes, yeah, (laughs) you're you're messing up every slate, but eventually it does hit, you know, eventually you get that painting right. Yeah. And I noticed too, just as you were saying that, that one of the things that has come as I've built that muscle is also 
sort of this refusal to be punished by other people for failing. Yeah. Because we come into class and we don't punish each other. Oh, absolutely not. And then we go into life and we get punished for not being perfect. Yeah. And I'm sort of against that now, you know, it's just sort of like, yeah, sorry, you don't like me. I'm sorry I made that mistake. I'm sorry I messed up. Yeah. I've never done this before. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, it doesn't mean it's going to stop them from punishing punishing me in whatever way, whether they don't like me or they, Mm -hmm. I don't Mm -hmm. know, whatever it is that happens, they break up with me, (laughs) whatever it is, they stop being my friend. But I stop beating myself up as much because I think improv has helped me accept how imperfect I am and how imperfect humans are. Oh yeah. We don't know what the hell we're doing, but we have to pretend like we do. Yeah. That's kind of whack. That's improv. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that called life improv. and improv. That's like, so it's true. The same thing. I mean, I, yeah, I wake up every day and there's always some things I got to do. And I'm like, oh. like, <laughs> like at work, I'm going to be honest, you know, <laughs> it's a huge yeah. part of just, I think, work every day for a lot of people is like, I'm supposed to do this. But how, <laughs> you know, yeah. wing it, yes. you know, and wing it is just, you know, that's just improvising. That's, that's all improvising. it is. Improvising. Yeah. So yes. I, I definitely feel that. Oh man. I, you know, I had, it's reminded me of something, one of my favorite quotes, but it's not like, I had this professor in college. Uh, I did, I studied acting in college. So one of those programs where it's like acting, 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 you know, get it in your head. And, uh, but this particular quote, I, I think it applies to improv as well. But my professor once said, she was like, acting lessons are life lessons. And I've always thought about that quote because I, I know in my heart it applies to improv too. And for me, I, at this point in my life, I love improv more than like acting. It's just improv is its own unique kind of slice of that. So I think I often live with the idea that improv lessons are life lessons. And I think we've definitely explored that, you know, in some of our conversations uh, so far today, you know, just think about yeah. failure and building connections and community and laughter, sorrow, <laughs> like all yes. the, the highs and lows of everything. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I think it is life. And I think yeah. I've seen that in your improv style mm. when I've been in class with you or seen you in a show. Um, I see you bring life into it. And mm. I love that. And it's interesting. I think those are my favorite improvisers. Mm. Well, it, you know, I guess it's all over the place. It's the people who bring life into improv, but then also the people who sort of make fun of life and poke holes in life because being a human is like the most predictable thing and the most ridiculous outlandish yeah. thing at the yeah. same time. hundred oh, <laughs> percent. And I guess that's it, right? Like yeah. improv, um, if improv is like, what is the exact quote again? I'm sorry. Uh, uh, we're going to say improv is, lessons are life lessons. Imp- yes, totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would get that like tattooed on my forehead, I think. I think you should. <laughs> yeah, maybe the next maybe episode the I'm going to Maybe the bee was trying, yeah. Oh, you're right. The bee was trying to tattoo it on your forehead. and get them. And get <laughs> get them it done. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I just absolutely agree with that. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm glad because that's like, I've realized as I've gotten older, that's become like a core part of me yeah like you know when we all have things we try to live by and i think for me that's something that's always in my head of like applying like art and performance to the other areas of my life yeah yeah Yeah, i can see that i think that's the the gift of a creative person Mm -hmm. and i would consider you hands down a creative person i think there are people in improv who aren't necessarily creatives they don't consider themselves creatives 
but I would say you're a creative. And I think that that's part of what a creative does is they, they see art in all of it and yeah. they see life as art. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think, yeah, I think we all find ways to do that a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I got one, maybe two more improv related questions for you. And then okay. we're going to jump into some games. How does that sound? Good. Okay. Okay. I'm so nervous okay. now for the games. Good. <laughs> Perfect. Um, okay. So I think, I think this will be our, our last improv uh, question. Cause I, I mean, you've given me so much and I'm just so thankful for like your wisdom and perspective that you've brought in and, you know, seeing, you know, how improv can apply to so many other places and how it's influenced your line of work because that's, it's fascinating. And I, I very much have an appreciation for what you do and what you study because it's, it's so, so important. So thank you for that. Thank you. Implementing (laughs) what we do here into, you know, places of the world that might not know that or learn that and how, how useful and powerful it can be. Thank you. With that said, um, what, uh, this is like kind of a two part question or I'm going to do a mashup here. What kind of advice or like, what would you say to someone who's maybe new to improv or hasn't tried it before? And what would you say to them to kind of encourage them to get them to try it or just help them in their journey? Um, gosh, I would say that there is no one way that an improviser is. Mm. And so whoever you think you are, that makes you an improviser or more importantly, not an improviser. If you think that you're someone who couldn't possibly do that, or you're not funny Mm -hmm. or you're not whatever it is. um, See if you can let that go and come to a class and be willing to bring exactly who you are. Because that's one mm. thing I see in people is that people bring who they are. Yeah. And our job as improvisers is to accept who people are. And that includes who they are in the scene and it includes who they naturally bring in that they can't leave behind yeah. just by becoming another character. Especially if you're a new improviser, whoever you are, if you're a logical, practical person who has never been funny mm. in their life, great come and be that in an improv scene and trust that. I think that improv is also about building who you actually are. It's even if you become another character, you're still working with who you are. Yeah. (laughs) That character stems from who you are, your experiences and your experiences, your knowledge. knowledge. Like you're not going to come in if you're a logical, practical sort of dry person you're not going to come in and do a big, juicy, vibrant, you know, crazy scene, <laughs> or you might yeah, like maybe I mean, you maybe, crack, yeah. and, but that might not be your very first scene. Yeah. And that's great. Mm-hmm. Work with who you are, be who you are yes. and just bring that. Yeah. And then the other thing I'd say is super important is trying at several different studios and yeah. several different teachers yeah, because find what, find what works. They are not all the same. And maybe, the first place that I was in, um, it was really competitive. I had people literally say to me, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And I didn't know what I was supposed to do. And, um, that doesn't work for me. That does work for some people. Mm -hmm. It didn't work for me. Mm. And so it took me, you know, I had to try something else and try something new. So if you don't like improv, initially find another studio, find another teacher, or even just come to several classes because it's not, it's not an easy art. I don't think. No. And it's very vulnerable. Um, 
Yeah, that's yeah. what I would say. I, I think that's really good advice because I think what you said at the end there too, yeah, it is hard work, you know, and you got to show up and be ready to be open. Because if yeah. you don't, you're, you know, you're just going to be grinding in all your scenes and it's, it's yeah. not going to be good for anyone. No, yeah. and that's another one is yeah. y- you have to be open. Yep. It's also true, and you have to show up. Yeah. It's also true, as much as you should be able to be like exactly who you are and all of that, mm-hmm. you have mm-hmm. to choose to keep coming back, yeah. even if you're embarrassed, even if you don't like someone in the class. Yeah. You know, you're not going to like every partner you have mm, or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and you just have to say, so what? I'm committed to this for some reason and I'm going to keep showing up and building that muscle because it, I don't think maybe it comes naturally to some people, but it certainly hasn't come naturally to me. It's, Mm. it's something I've had to work on. It's something I've had to build and I'm still building. I'm still working on it. I still feel like a complete beginner most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Well, that is, I think, absolutely fantastic advice. So thank you for sharing that with, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe young or future improvisers out there, wherever they may be. (laughs) You know, who knows? We've got a, um, you know, international audience. International. From what I heard, even though this is the first episode. (laughs) From what I've heard, you know, the the many fans out there are waiting and eager. All right, Annie Rose. So you have doted us with much wisdom. It is time for you to now dote us with improvisational talent and skill. Oof, so are you okay. ready to jump in? We're going to play a couple games here, you know, okay. because improv, we love getting into the deep, almost philosophical, moral, life, heart, soul, body side of it. But we do like to play a little bit too. So yes. we got to do a little bit of that. So we're going to play three games today. Uh, we're going to have fun. Some of these we'll play together. Some of these you might be on your own. So we'll see. Here we go. I'm okay. going to pull up our first one because, yeah. All right. So this first game, Annie Rose, oh, this is going to be kind of tough. This first game is called Bad Breakup. Oh. Bad Breakup. And in this game, we'll be performing a scene where one of us is breaking up with the other person. And we are going to get a one word suggestion to help inform our scene. You know, because oftentimes when there is a breakup, there's probably a reason it's happening. So we need that one word to kind of help us, you know find that because oftentimes in improv, right, you get some sort of suggestion to help you get a scene going, whether that's a location, a relationship, could be just a random word, you know, well, we're going to give that to ourselves. And although we don't have a live audience, uh, shout out, well, we're not going to shout it out yet, but I found this (laughs) app that might be good to help us get some suggestions or it might be bad. So we'll see. But Um, no matter what, we'll take it. Yep. Yep. Okay. So, Annie Rose, before we get our one word suggestion, I would like to ask you, would you like to do the breaking up? Like, would you, do you want to break up with me or do you want me to break up with you? I think I want you to break up with me. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's the most familiar situation. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I think for me, like life experience, I'm split down the middle so I can, yeah, I can go either way. Too. Yeah. Mm, yikes. Mm. All right. Well, so excited to relive this. All right. So let's find out uh, what our suggestion is going to be. Desert. 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 Okay. Desert. All right. You ready? Yes. Let's see. Hey, Matilda. Hi, Jamal. Hey. Um, Hi. Yeah. Sorry. I was just coming back from the grocery store. I know I got back later than I said I would. Are you okay? You look like you had a really rough yeah, grocery yeah. store experience. God, you're sweating. Yeah. No. You know, I was just finding, you know, all those 
all those, uh, you know, all your different uh, gluten-free items that you like. Yeah, it's stressful. I know. Thank you, baby. I appreciate it so much. Yeah, yeah, of course, Matilda. Um, Hey, you know, I've actually been thinking about something. Uh, Can we talk? Yeah, sure. All right. Uh, Matilda, you know, you, you and I have been together for three years now. Yeah. It's, you know, it's been really It's good. been amazing. Yeah. I mean, we moved in together after two weeks of dating, which yeah. was, you know, so many people thought it was extreme. Uh, not us. Not us. Not us. And you know, it's, I think that's moving pretty quick for two people who met on Snapchat. Yeah. But you know, that what? first snap that you saw, sent me though, it just like, it made me realize that I'm meant to be with you forever. Yeah. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. That snap where I sent you, um, it was, I drew a smiley face that used the nipple as uh, one of the eyes. Yeah. That was nipple. hilarious. Yeah. I don't, still don't know how you made it wink. <laughs> that was fantastic. Look, uh, I, I fell in love with you. A magician never tells moment. their secrets. <laughs> yeah. So what's wrong? Just, I mean, yeah, well, it's all over your face. I you know, there's something that's been bothering me that I, I haven't wanted to talk about for a long time, but mm-hmm. it's just <sighs> out with it already. Okay. Okay. Jeez. Matilda, I'll, I'll spit it out. You know, I, I sometimes get vulnerable in these yeah, moments. Yeah. Okay. I I'm so nervous. Just. Okay. So I wanted to tell you that I think we're going to have to go our separate ways. <gasps> I, I'm breaking up with you. And this, this doesn't come easily, Matilda. It's, I, I, I don't oh want to do this. It's it's not you. It's me. I knew it. It's because my mouth is as dry as the desert. You don't like. Oh my god! I knew it. Uh, you knew. I. I can't help it. I told you it's a genetic you mean condition. You're aware of it, and yeah, of course I'm aware of it. Why do you think I like gluten free crackers? Because the gluten free crackers keep my mouth more moist, and if I have the gluten crackers, then every yeah. time I chew and try to swallow, I almost die. But it, but I can't. You're judging me for something I can't help. I just, you know, honestly, it's like I will use a spray bottle. You know, to get into it, it's like every time we're kissing, and God, it's like kissing sandpaper. Like, you know, it's it hurts, and I don't enjoy it. And what? you know, my love language is physical touch. So when we're in a kissing situation, and it's just I, I, I'm getting scratched up, but like I'm literally becoming smoother while we're kissing. I need some water. I can't do it anymore, Matilda. Sorry, it's just so dry and in here. But it's not going to so matter. Dry. Your mouth is as dry as a desert. And I know it's it's a medical <laughs> issue, but, you know, I've pressed you to try and, you know, go to Kaiser and talk to your doctor, but you... There's you, nothing I could do. I don't, I don't believe that. And I, What if I used Vaseline or lube? Matilda. I'll put Vaseline all over my mouth all the time. All the time. Don't gonna, leave me. Baby, don't leave me. I don't want you to have to be lubed up 24-7, Matilda. That's so much to ask when I just think it's better for me, you know, to maybe find someone who has a wetter mouth. Fine. Fine. Blackout. Oh, man. That was... <laughs> God. So sad. It was Good just like every breakup Good I've ever gone I know. Gone that through. was like... That was like turning back the, the pages in my own history book. Mm-hmm. You know, I... That that's actually a verbatim conversation I've had. Yeah. At least we can put that behind us, right? Yeah. Now yeah. it's just out there. Yep. For everyone else. Yep. 
<laughs> great, great. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Annie Rose. So that's our first improv game. We're going to go ahead and move to the okay. next one. Okay, phew. Right. Yeah. So one I'm down. sweating now. You're killing it. I know, me too, me too. Well, which is surprising because, you know, you're so dry. I'm so dry. Yeah. Because I sweat all the time. Oh, I see. Yeah, the moisture just goes elsewhere. <laughs> it's just in my yeah, armpits and my crotch. That's oh, it. yeah, yeah. I yeah. understand. I understand. All right, Annie Rose, for okay. this next game, I'm going to need you to reach under your chair and find a bag. Don't open it. What? I know. What a surprise. I, I know. I can't believe you didn't see it. <laughs> but don't open it I yet. thought it was just junk. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, our, our studio space is, you know, it's a work in progress, if mm-hmm. you will. But this bag, intentional. Very exciting. The choices made here, a lot of forethought. So the next game we're going to be playing is called Sell Me Something. Whoa. All right. And it's going to be your job. Whoa. I'm Whoa. touching the thing. I see that hand. I see that hand. I thought I just uh, couldn't look, but I'm touching. Is yeah, that allowed? Okay, uh, you, I won't you'll even get touch. to the touching. Don't worry. Hey, we need to wait before we touch, okay? Okay. All right. Thank you. So in this game called Sell Me Something, Annie Rose, in just a moment, you're going to be reaching into the bag and pulling out one object. Now, these are um, obscure objects I found around my apartment. I think they're interesting (laughs) and unique. Uh, So you're going to pull one out. And essentially, it's going to be your job to sell me on this object. Why do I need it? Why do I want it? You know, what's it called? How much does it cost? You know, you're going to be a salesperson. And I want you to justify why I might want this object. Any questions before we begin? No, uh-huh. I assume I should hold it up in front of the camera. Uh, you should because you very know, clearly we've got a we've got a massive audience out there that is going to be dying to find out what this product is, okay. why they need it, and where they can you know just everything about it. We want to know about it, and I might ask you some questions too. Okay, all right, I'm ready. You ready, Annie Rose? All right, yes. whenever you're ready, go ahead and reach into the bag. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to see this brand new product. <gasps> wow. Hello. Oh. Gilbert, I want to thank you for coming to my studio today. Yes, of course. I have this wonderfully practical, squishy, inflatable airbag that you can use as a tiny pillow for your cervical spine. Oh, my goodness. I've always needed a pillow for my cervical spine. Yes, this is very specific. I know that you've said that you have problems, that you constantly have headaches. I do. This is something that you slip you can do it two ways. You can either put it this way, right along oh your gosh. spine. It stretches depending on how long your cervical spine is. Or you can push it this way if you just need some extra support. Oh, wow. Yeah, so this is this is called the banana factophone. The banana factophone? Yes, we designed it after the banana because the banana is actually a very brilliant design. It is. It's yes. a perfect design. And so that's what it's called. It's actually the 5002 model. We've had Gosh. a couple of different models, yeah. and you'll notice that it's actually very squishy. Wow. And that's because your spine, which is very hard, longs to be against something that is soft and something supple. Something squishy. That, that makes sense. It that's does science. make sense. This is science. This has actually been tested by 692 labs throughout the world. It has been tested on multiple, multiple cervical spines. Oh, my gosh. Um, it was actually tested by monkeys. Monkeys? They thought that it was a banana, and then they chewed on it, oh. and they were like, that's not a banana. Oh, yeah, uh, But monkeys. they're very brilliant, and yeah. so they started to think, what if I use this for my cervical spine? Mm. And they, too, yes. liked it. So it's actually uh, bispecial. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I didn't even know there were products that could be bispecial. Yes. 
So what questions do you have? Oh, so many, but I, I'll try and narrow it down. How much does it, how much does it cost? Well, the banana factophone. Here's something that I need for you to know. Yes. This is something that's going to be in your life forever. Until the day that you die. And oh I'm going gosh. to assume that you're going to live to be a ripe, juicy age. So this should live for longer than you, probably. Wow. Um, and for that reason, it's very expensive. It's $6,784. Okay. Uh, you have to pay for it all up front. Got it. But we do have a special credit card. Um, you can apply for the credit card today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you are able to pay for it with the credit card, then we only add $1,000 more to the price. That's it. That's it. If you're able to pay for it in cash, yes. then we will take $2 off the price. Wow. Oh my which gosh. is a miracle deal. Cash is king. Cash is king. Um, and if you find this appealing... <laughs> oh my God. I always have to do that joke the company makes me. I personally don't find it very funny. I think it's quite good. Okay. Then, um, you know, we'd be willing to throw in a second one for just $7,000 more. Two banana factophones for... uh, Uh, Just over $14,000, almost $15,000. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's it's more useful than a car because this saves your spine rather than destroying it. I only have one spine. Yeah. All right, blackout. <laughs> Thank you. I was like, do I have to put this in my mouth? Because do. I don't know I, where this has been. I wasn't going to end in it your in, apartment. until you actually ate the whole thing. Mm. That was the goal the whole time. This would be hard to poop out. Well, for you. It's not a real banana, in case you're wondering at yeah. home. Yeah. It's actually from the, uh, there's a banana museum in California. <laughs> it's out there by the Sultan Sea, I think, kind of in that area. Uh-huh. I, I wasn't there, but a friend got it for me as a gift. Wow. So uh, it's like, very realistic. Top tier fruit. Yeah. 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 You know, it's good to capture the the, uh, the realism, the curvature of it. Yeah. Banana. They even yeah. did the texture of the inner peel, but they yeah. did not make this black or green. Yeah. That's true. There are some uh, scientific inaccuracies in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you know, what can we do? What can we do? Well, thank you uh, thank for you. selling me the Banana Factor Fund. Mm-hmm. It was an incredible product. Mm-hmm. That just, it was the gift that kept on. Giving. Yes. All You're right. welcome. So we are going to play one more game. Okay. Annie Rose, okay. are you game for this game? I'm game for this game. So we will not need our bag of goodies okay. anymore. That's there good, were a lot of interesting put things it down. in there, but we're going to save them, you know, for another time. Okay. Because you never know. Uh, so for this final game that we're going to play, uh, this game is called Witness. Okay. And in this game, you and I have witnessed a crime. And it's going to be our job, you and me, to work together to retell this crime that we witnessed. Uh, to a police officer. Okay. Um, so there are going to be two suggestions that we're given. We're going to be given a location. Okay. So we'll have a you know a vague idea of where this crime took place, and we'll be given um, the crime itself. Okay. So the location and what the crime was. <laughs> yeah. So okay. That's how we're going to play this game, and okay. you and I we're going to work together to uh, retell the story of what we what happened. Yeah. Is that the officer? Uh, the, yeah, the camera okay. happens to be the officer. Wow. Yeah, our officer looks oddly like a camera. It does. Strange. Huh. All right, so let's get our suggestions real quick. Okay. Um, so our location is going to be underground. Okay. So our location. <laughs> so our location is underground. Great. Our crime, uh, underground mutiny. 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 What exactly is underground mutiny? Underground mutiny. 
even better. If you don't know, we're just going to roll I feel embarrassed that I don't know what that is exactly. I think you do, but it's just not. (laughs) You got podcast brain right now. Okay. Okay. So underground mutiny. You ready? Yes. All right, here we go. Scene. (sighs) Oh my gosh. (sighs) Um, Gregor. Officer. Oh my God. We just saw the most horrific thing. Yeah. It's, you know, we, we were speechless, but we're going to try and put this into words for you, officer, officer Jenkins. Yeah. Um, my, my sister, Clarissa, uh, we, we, oh my. we witnessed something. Um, we were hanging out underground, you know, in the tunnels. Yeah. As yeah. you do, I yeah. dropped something into the sewer yeah. and then a raccoon yeah. took it. Yeah. It was my grandmother's engagement ring and I couldn't let it go. And so I had we to had go to down die. there. Gregor held my feet so yep. I could crawl in there. And then he let go. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. But I, he came in after me. And I so we can't the scene. Oh, we came around. We are sludging through. Mm-hmm. We must Just, have been on like Rosecrans and Sepulveda or something I like that. It's, it's hard to it's hard tell, to but there was some like oil There's and no gas under there. there. No street signs. No. Just it was bad. It it's was really bad. Poop and oil and human hair. Dead things. Human Dead hair. Things floating in, in the People's dredge. discarded medication bottles. That's true. It was really sad. Fourth of July firework. Oh my gosh. Trash everywhere. Horrendous. Horrendous. Anyway, sorry. Anyway, sorry, officer. The, the crime. The crime. Just the crime against the planet. Uh, you know, um, it was rather mutinous, was, I must say. There it, were these two people. One really tall person. Yeah. One really short person. Yeah. And the the tall person was was what appeared to be a captain. Captain. By this yes. Hat. hat. He had that it, weird hat they on. Had a captain's hat. It was a it was a lady. A lady. Yeah. This, this captain's hat on with her hair lady. like yeah. down, really really long. Yeah. yeah. And then the short one. Yeah. God, what was with his mustache? It was like yeah, it was curly it was and very curly. Several curly cues coming off his face, officer. Yeah, you, you, you wouldn't miss him. And then the, the tall one just reached over and slapped the little one. Yeah, and he yeah. went flying. Yeah, and I was like mutiny, <laughs> mutiny, mutiny. Yeah, it was. I we couldn't believe this. This captain lady slapped. Uh, what we guess was probably her crew, her crew member, member, this mustachioed fellow. Yeah, the mustachioed fellow went flying into the wall. It was like one of those cartoons where he just was like smack, yeah. and then he went sliding down into the you know the the, the refuse sludge and the refuse. Yes, and my my dear sister Clarissa, in that moment, she go on. Hey, it's okay. It's just I'm horrible. Here. She she cried out. She said, "No, no." As as you do when witnessing something horrendous, and in that moment, the mustachioed man, he pulled out a spoon. A spoon. And began to Dig. stab the lady captain. Yeah, just like digging and stabbing right in her eyes, and one of the eyeballs it just popped out, and it made that sound like, you know, like that just, lollipop song. Just yeah. Can you, can you oh. make the sound one more time, just to make sure the officer gets it? Oh. It was awful. Stop, stop. I'm going to hear it all, all night. Oh. All, oh. I can't get it out of my head. So then Gregory goes over. He's trying to help her. Yep. Steps on yep. the eyeball. It squishes out, flips out. No. And then that's the first time that we notice there's a little baby over there in a little cradle. Yeah. 
like not a cradle, like one of those carrier things, the eyeball pops over and lands into the prim. Is that what you call that? Pram. Pram. Yeah. Oh, the pram. Yeah. Like a German stroller. Yeah. Yeah. It might have been. It might have been. It said Schlotzenschnagen on the side. So probably. It It was awful. So observant. In the moment that this this crewmate uh, used the spoon as a weapon. Yeah. That crewmate, in fact, committed mutiny because he killed the captain. Yeah. The lady captain. The lady captain. Because she lost her eye and then all the blood came out. So, officer, the crime of mutiny was terrible. But really, the worst part is that. Clarissa never found her ring. I never found it. So <laughs> while you're poking around the crime scene, if you could maybe look, keep an eye open for that ring. It's gold. We really loved our grandmother. It has an emerald in it. Yeah. It's she, priceless. It, it is. Thank you, officer, for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Please go. It's important. Hurry. Blackout. All right. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Um, so after that scene, what is mutiny? I don't know. Uh, Why don't I know better. what it is? So it's. I think like I'm not. Oh, you we- think Webster? I mean, I'm not Webster, but you know, it's like the overthrowing a captain, right? So I think mutiny is usually in like oh, ship situations. Mutiny, sure. Yeah, you know the idea, like ah, we're committing mutiny, yarg. And yeah. then you know, a bunch of pirates, you know, they take their captain. I and am they, not you know, throw up overboard. on my ship and pirate crime. It's all right, you got to rewatch Pirates of the Caribbean. I do. That's what you got to do? Mutiny. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I can I, picture we it. Mutiny. <laughs> Overthrow the captain. You know, that's, yeah, you know, now I know. Yeah. I, it's like the longest word pirates know, I think, generally. I think it is. Yeah. Because yeah. 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 usually they're just like, Arr. Yeah, you know, they're not usually. I, your, see. Yeah. Know, all those things. Yeah, so not, <laughs> see. not a large vocabulary, but <laughs> mutiny is, you know, one of the only multisyllabic words they might have. That's true. So, you know, okay, we gotta, good. We gotta well, remember it for them. You know, if you had asked anything about like children. Like laws having to do with children in Los Angeles, yeah. I would have known, but yeah, sure. I don't know about pirates and ships. Sure, yeah. I can't be smart about everything. Yeah, I mean, most of us, we, we don't really need to. So. <laughs> it's true. It's, it's all right. That's true. Yeah. Well, with that, um, I want to thank you, Annie Rose, for joining us today um, underneath this half-lit sign. You know, our yeah. goal uh, for Improv for the Podcast and for IFTP, the studio, is that, uh, you know, if we get up to a million downloads, we might be able to get a full sign. Which will be That's, very delightful. Will be. You will know, we're, be. We're going to monitor its progress because, you know, you got to start somewhere. Yeah. Uh, th- and at least all of the letters are lit up. That, that's true. So I we feel know like we're that's not missing good. it. Yeah. We're not, it's not saying IP. Well, I, I do P. But, you know, right. we're able to get the full acronym. <laughs> yes. And, uh, but, yeah, again, thank you, Andy Rose, so much for joining us on this first episode of Improv for the Podcast and sharing your wisdom and perspective and just your knowledge of improv and its impact in all different areas of life. It, w- it was a pleasure getting to chop it up with you. Thank you so much for having me. It has been an absolute delight. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for playing as well. Yeah. Had a good time. Yeah. Thank you. All right, everyone. Well, that concludes our first episode of Improv for the Podcast. Again, thank you to our first and amazing guest, Annie Rose. We'll be back next week with another episode, new games, new guest. We'll see you next time. Thanks for watching, listening, or putting this on while you do laundry in the background. See you next week. Bye. Improv for the Podcast was created by Matt Moore and Michael Lee Evans. Edited and produced by Michael Lee Evans. And finally, presented by Improv for the People. 
interested in more IFTP, you can visit us at improvforthepeople.com or on our socials, such as Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. Remember, new episodes are released weekly. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.